Amen. Along with his father David, Solomon, I think you might agree, Solomon may be the best known of all the kings of ancient Israel. Listen to what the Old Testament tells us about the greatness of his kingdom. Take a look here on the screen. This is 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23. It says, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Wow. Now, just one example, one example of these incomparable riches was the amount of gold that Solomon possessed. How much, just how much gold did Solomon possess? Well, keep in mind that the Hebrews, they would measure the amount of gold uh, of any precious metal, like gold or silver, for example, in a measure called a talent, in Hebrew, a kikar. And this was equal to about 75 pounds. So when we add up the numbers from 1 Kings chapter 9, that's one of the places where we find these numbers explicitly. Second, 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 14 and 28. And then in chapter 10, verses 10, 14, and 15, we arrive at this total. This is just for one year. 1,326 talents of gold. That's just shy of a hundred thousand pounds of gold or 50 tons. Now, what would you do with 50 tons of gold? <laughs> wow, good question. Now, 50 tons of gold. Now, remember this, that might not, that might sound like, wow, I don't even know why I would keep all that gold, but just think about the value of that. Today, in today's market, one ton of gold is worth $46.5 million. One year. Solomon's wealth. But this morning, I promise you that God wants to give us through Solomon, from Solomon, something far more valuable. Some of you Indiana Jones types are thinking, if I can go find that gold somehow, right, that Solomon had even just a little bit, then I would be set for life. But I promise you there is something even better to go after. Something of greater value from Solomon. Let's consider together King Solomon's true treasure by looking at 1 Kings chapter 3. If you're not already there, turn over there, scroll over there, a Bible app or a Bible website. We're looking together at 1 Kings chapter 3. Before there is any mention in 1 Kings of gold or worldly goods or fame for Solomon, this is what we discover just after the accounts of chapters 1, chapters 1 and 2. And those chapters describe the establishing of Solomon's kingdom. It's the transition from David's kingdom to Solomon's kingdom and how Solomon established his rule, his reign in Israel. So we read, we're going to begin actually in verse 3 of chapter 3. This is what we read. Solomon loved Yahweh, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. 
Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, Yahweh appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. That makes sense. Ask what I shall give you. That is, what do you want me to give you? Ask for it. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and had given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Yahweh, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem, and he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and he offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he made a feast for all his servants. It's a celebration, isn't it? Based on what just took place. Brothers and sisters, it is not likely, I hate to burst your bubble, but it is not likely that God is going to appear to us in the same way that he appeared to Solomon. Could he? Of course. Is it likely? Probably not. But even though that's the case, every one of us has the opportunity to ask something of God. To ask something of God. The opportunity to bring our request to God daily in prayer. God invites us to ask just as he invited Solomon to ask. How do we know this? Well, Jesus declared, take a look at the screen. Jesus declared, ask and it will be given to you. Matthew 7, 7. He also taught, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, 7. 
And again, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. John 16, 23. Is that a blank check for anything that you want? No, but it's a blank check in light of the purposes and heart of God. It's a blank check in terms of the kingdom work that Jesus came to do and is doing in your heart, I pray, even today. We'll understand that, talk about that a little bit more. But we have been invited to ask, haven't we? The Father has invited us to ask as well. So what do we learn as those who are invited to ask from this passage here? Let me direct your attention back to verse 10. Look again at that striking statement, verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. If you love God, if you love Him above all, if you love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, then you should want that to be said about every prayer request you bring to God. You should want it to be said that it pleased the Lord. Now I know, and I think you can admit with me about yourself, that you have brought requests to God in the past that have not pleased the Lord. Do you recognize that? It pleased the Lord, right? We want it to be said of us, it pleased the Lord that she asked this. It pleased the Lord that he asked this. You see, the true treasure that Solomon can give us this morning is the example that he provides for us here in terms of asking of God. Asking of God. We might say his example is in regard to prayer, especially prayer requests. I want you to notice three things here as we talk about what this example is, the details of this example, Solomon's example. Notice three striking features of Solomon's request here. First, it is a grace-inspired request. You'll see these three on the screen here. It is a grace-inspired request. Second, it is a humility-rich request. Finally, it is an others-focused request. So let's take some time this morning. Let's take some time and look at these one at a time, each of these, and think about what the passage reveals in regard to these three striking features. First of all, Solomon's request was a grace-inspired request. We just heard that, a grace-inspired request. Now, imagine it. The maker of all things appears to you in a dream and says, ask whatever you want, ask what you will. It would not be surprising if you heard that or anybody heard that request given to them when God appeared to them. It would not be surprising if someone began to run down a list of needs, right? Oh God, this is what's happening and I need this and I could use this and this would be wonderful. Oh, and oh wow, this would be mind-blowing if you could meet this request. That would be understandable, wouldn't it? We might say to ourselves, this is what God can do. I haven't been able to do anything in regard to this area or that person's life. But this is what God can do. But Solomon does not begin with what God can do. He begins with what God has done. Do you see that? He begins with what God has done. He opens his mouth in verse 6 and we find that Solomon is 
remembering grace, not requesting gifts. He's rehearsing grace here. Is this merely a formula? Like open with a joke and close with a story in terms of public speaking? <laughs> Next time you're public speaking, open with a joke, right? Close with a story. That's a, that's a, you know, that's Toastmasters right to the hilt. No, no, this is not a formula. This is not a technique. This is an expression here of Solomon's heart. Because what do we know about his heart from God's word this morning? It told us that Solomon loved Yahweh. He loved God. So this is the overflow of his heart. And if you look back at verse 6, Solomon isn't talking about grace in a generic, abstract way, is he? He's not. This is personal. This is Solomon's story. This is gratefulness for grace. It's important as we think about this, Solomon rehearsing grace in terms of his own story. He begins with his father, David. He talks about God blessing, God's blessings to David. He talks about God's blessing to him. He's just come out of these last two chapters. He's just established his reign. And it wasn't easy. There was some violence. There was bloodshed. There was a rival to the throne. There was conspiracy. But God established him as the new king. And what did he do? He went to thank God. He offered a thousand sacrifices, right? And gratitude to God. So he's rehearsing grace. He's remembering grace in his story. And it's even, it's highlighted even more when you simply do this. When you simply remember the name of Solomon's mother. Her name was Bathsheba. And you simply remember that name and you remember that story from 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And it is a story that seems to negate grace. It makes grace all the more spectacular because not only is it a story of adultery, not only is it a story of abuse of power, it's a story of murder, of grave injustice. So when we keep that in mind, verse 6 is striking, isn't it? Remember, Solomon is just one of David's sons. But graciously, God raised him up to be the king. Awesome, right? Awesome. How amazing. What grace. Solomon is rehearsing this. He's remembering this grace. Can you sense the gratitude behind these words? He doesn't say, I give thanks to you, but there's just gratitude pouring out of this as he, as he remembers these things, as he brings these to God. Paul, when it comes to prayer, encourages this same emphasis in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, one that we know very well. Many of you know this verse well, but remember what it says. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That's bringing requests, these requests to God. With thanksgiving, remembering grace, rehearsing the blessings of God in your life. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Isn't that what Solomon is modeling for us here? Don't we see that here? Brothers and sisters, is your prayer life characterized by gratitude? Is it inspired by grace? 
Or is it a laundry list? Is it just a laundry list with a few formulaic sayings kind of snapped on there? Is it inspired by grace? Before requesting, I encourage you to be rehearsing. Rehearsing just how good God has been to you. Remembering the grace that you enjoy from Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to bring your requests, your petitions to Him. He does. He wants you to come. He's made a way for you to come through Christ. But when our pleas are not brought in gratitude in light of grace, it has a way of skewing our prayers. When our prayers are not brought in gratitude, inspired by grace, it has a way of skewing our prayers. Gratitude is not only the right thing to do in light of God's generous grace, it's also a faith-building exercise. It is. Why? Because it reminds us of the ways that God has already worked in our lives. Right? It sets the pace. It sets the pattern. It establishes the trajectory of God's work in your life. What He's been doing. What He wants to do in your life. Now, let's keep going. As we move on in this passage, we discover that this request is also, number two, a humility-rich request. It's a humility-rich request. We find in verses 7 and 8 that Solomon is acknowledging his inexperience. You see that? And subsequently, because of that, his neediness. He is acknowledging his inexperience and subsequently in light of the task ahead, his neediness. He needs God, right? In light of this awesome responsibility of kingship and kingship over, verse 8, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted. I love how that's also a little reminder of grace, isn't it? Because that language is the language God gave to Abraham about blessing him. I'll make your descendants so numerous they will be like the stars in the sky or above or like the sand and like the sand on the seashores. Too vast, too many to be counted. So there's that acknowledgement of grace as Solomon speaks as well. But this great people, too many to be numbered or counted, how can he rule over them? What is Solomon's confession in verse 7? I am but a little child. Is this just talking about his age? No, I think it's more than that. He's acknowledging inexperience, his neediness before God. So the new king's attitude after chapters 1 and 2 of the establishing of his reign, transitioning from his father David, his new attitude is not one of pride because of his new position. The most powerful in Israel. It's not one of pride. He is humbled and he is reaching out for help from God. What an important reminder for us. Now, some may think, if I'm coming to God with my request in prayer, isn't that proof already of my humility and my neediness? It might be. (laughs) It might be. It might not be. James chapter 4, verse 3 reminds us that this is not always the case. 
God says there through James, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, the Bible acknowledges that just because we bring requests to God, it doesn't mean we're coming with a humble, needy spirit. We could be coming with a greedy, prideful, lustful spirit. Wrong motives in prayer. Right? God is the genie. Where are my wishes from the magic lamp? God, give these things to me. We know that can be the case. All of us can ask with wrong motives. Every single one of us has and can pray from pride rather than humility. But God's reminder to us here in this request is that it was a request that was pleasing to the Lord. Remember that? It was a request that was pleasing to the Lord. And it comes from this confession that Solomon made. We should come in the same way that Solomon came. When we come in prayer, we should say, I am but a little child. I am but a little child. When you come in prayer, do you pray that way? I am but a little child. I am but a little child. Maybe that leads to you praying this way. Father, I bring this request or these requests to you today. But I do so recognizing that ultimately I do not know what is best. I don't know even how to pray. My prayers are tepid often. My prayers are weak. My prayers are tainted oftentimes by my own sinful heart. Father, teach me how to pray. Show me how to pray. Let your will be done according to your wisdom and not my own wisdom. That's someone praying who recognizes that they're just a little child coming before God. Needy. Needy. Listen again to verse 9. As we see how this grace-inspired, grateful, humble heart gives voice to number three, an others-focused request. An others-focused request. Now, popular thinking about Solomon's prayer. The Sunday school version of it, the, I don't know, the popular uh, kind of folk version of this, uh, it's often characterized this prayer request as a prayer for wisdom, and that wisdom is then set in the context of Solomon's greatness, his renown, his glory, right? People talk about the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. Wow, that's Solomon. He was, whoa, he was like unrivaled, unparalleled in terms of his wisdom that God gave to him. Talk about impressive. Now, God's word does emphasize the wisdom in that way. But we have to keep those in their context. And that hasn't really happened yet. That should not change what we find here in the context. Please notice that Solomon's request here is not wisdom for wisdom's sake. It is not wisdom for his own glory or greatness that he would be the creme de la creme. It is wisdom for what? Verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to 
govern your people. To govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. Who, you know, for who is able to govern this people? Your great people. Solomon's not concerned about his own glory. He's concerned about the people's good. About their well-being. This was the request that pleased the Lord. This request. Notice how God explains his pleasure in this request. Verse 11. And God said to him, because you have asked this and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies. You see, this request was pleasing to God because this perspective was pleasing to God. This request was pleasing to God because it indicated something beautiful about Solomon's heart. Something pure, something important about Solomon's heart. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself are the great commandments, aren't they? Solomon was recognizing that. We know he loved God. Verse 3 tells us right away, it tells us that. And we hear now his love for the people, love for his neighbor as himself. He is praying to God in light of that love. God is asking you this morning, do your prayers reflect this? Do your prayers reflect this same perspective? This same attitude? Are they predominantly others-focused prayers? If you were given one request from God, for what would you pray? I suspect many of us are convicted by a question like that. Because we don't see, we don't, we know that I wouldn't ask for what Solomon was asking. I would probably ask for X, Y, or Z. My felt needs right now, what I'm, you know, something would grasp us from maybe a worldly desire. Brothers and sisters, this grace-inspired, humility-rich prayer expresses itself in this request. That is, this This is what grace-inspired and humility-rich prayer requests sound like right here. Is it wrong to pray for yourself? No, it's not wrong to pray for yourself. Is it wrong to ask God to help you in light of your needs? No, it's not wrong to ask God to help you in light of your needs. Absolutely not. But love for God and love for our neighbors should dominate our hearts if they are the two great commands. Right? We are a people who are about third place. We are a people who love third place and should love third place. Because God is first and people are second. We are third. And that's the way it should be. And we know that God has life for us in that order. Love of God and love of neighbor should dominate our hearts. Not just our hearts, but also our prayer requests. And please don't miss that Solomon here is not simply asking for understanding to be a good king. He is asking for understanding to be God's king over God's people. 
God's king over God's people. You see, when we come to God with gratitude, rehearsing his grace, his faithfulness and his work among us, and when we come with humility as little children before him who recognize their ignorance, inexperience and inability, we will come with requests shaped by God's priorities, not our own. Brother, sister, even now, right this morning, you may be praying for someone else's need. And I say to that, praise God, you are praying for others, these other focused needs. But my question to you in light of Solomon's example is, are you praying for God's work in God's way in their life? Or are you praying for things to be done according to your own wisdom? What you want to see in that person's life, what you think is best. Now, maybe what you think is best does line up with God's will and God's ways, God's wisdom, but maybe it doesn't. And if we're not sensitive to that, if we're not actively thinking about that, then we may be strained and we we may be frustrated because God is not answering that prayer because he's trying to get a hold of us to say, I want you to pray my best for that person's life, not your best. My best. Solomon recognized the task before him. These weren't just a people. They were God's people. He was not simply meant to be a king. He was God's king. And when he accepted that, when he understood that, he knew he had no ability to do that. Who is sufficient for these things, to use the words of Paul? Who is sufficient for these things? Please understand this as a final note about what we see here in terms of an example. Please understand this. This is not a prescription for prayer for basically perfect people. This is not a prescription for prayer for basically perfect people. So if you're coming this morning and saying, you know what, I love, I love it, Pastor. I love what you're sharing with us. I love what the Word is, is revealing to us this morning. But we even talking about prayer, I don't even want to come to prayer. I don't think I can come to prayer because I'm not worthy to come to prayer. You know, I, I'm struggling. I'm carrying, a, I'm carrying with me a, a bag full of regret and shame and guilt. I'm carrying all this with me. If you just knew how imperfect I am, if you just knew my struggle, I don't even know about praying, let alone praying in light of this. Here's how I want to encourage you. Here's how God wants to encourage you through the text this morning. Solomon did not come as a perfect king. Solomon was not perfect. And, and this is, this, his imperfections are, are actually alluded to in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. Here's the reminder. It says there that he loved the Lord, but he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Now, there's a distinguishing there. There's a note from the author who wants to distinguish that Solomon was offering at the high places because there was not yet a temple built, was not yet a house of the Lord. And I think one of the distinctions with that is that he's saying that when he went to those high places, he was not offering to false gods. He was offering to Yahweh. But it's very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 12 in the law of Moses 
that God had ordered all of these high places to be destroyed. They were not supposed to exist. And the author, if you've read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you know that the author is very sensitive to these high places and will often make mention of them because they're part of the barometer of Israel's spiritual health. How are they doing with these high places? <laughs> were they continuing to use the high places? How many of the, were the high places proliferating? Here is a note about Solomon. He was not perfect. He was doing what, not what God wanted in terms of these high places. Even though he came with a thousand offerings, God had that against him. If we borrow the language from the letter to the seven churches in Revelation, God had this against him that he was using these high places to offer sacrifices. But notice how Solomon's interaction with God leads to growth. Do you see that? So if you look at the bookends of this passage, verse 3 and verse 15, what do you see? You see spiritual maturity. You see God using his interaction with Solomon to grow Solomon. Because where is he sacrificing at the end? He's sacrificing where he's supposed to be sacrificing. At the tent at, of meeting, at the tabernacle, before the Ark of the Covenant. Isn't that, isn't that cool how he ends up there? This little note, real quiet in the text, but it's there. That he has moved from the high places to the presence of God. And God didn't hold it against him so as to say, I will not give you anything that you request. God, full of grace says, ask what you will of me. And that grace leads to growth. Amen? Grace leading to growth. So if you are struggling this morning, brother, sister, if you are carrying around that bag of guilt and shame and regret, then know this. Take a page out of Solomon's playbook and pray and pray and trust God even in the messiest of prayers, even in the messiest spots in your life, even as you struggle, pray. Pray in light of the word. And watch God grow you. Watch God grow you, especially in your worship. Solomon wasn't perfect, but he, but he did love God. Do you? Do you love God this morning? Please don't let regrets or shame or struggles keep you from coming to God in this same way. Come, ask. God not only wants to answer your prayers, He wants to grow you through your prayers. When God gave Solomon a blank check, as it were, how did the new king respond? His response was grace-inspired. His response was humility-rich. His response was others-focused. What an example God has provided for us here since we have been invited to bring our requests to God as well. This is Solomon's true treasure. This is what is so valuable that we want to take from Solomon. Now, I also want you to notice this. I want you to notice, I want you to see how what's emphasized here is what we heard in verses 12 through 14. God not only fulfilled Solomon's request, but he caused his cup to overflow. Did you hear that in the prayer? Right? God's response. 
He caused his cup to overflow. Not only would he give the king a wise and discerning mind, but he would give him the wisest. He would give him the most discerning mind of anyone. And on top of that, he would give him wealth. And on top of that, he would give him life if he would walk in his ways. You see, though we are tempted to believe it, you do not have to focus on yourself to ensure that your needs are met. You believe that? Though we are tempted to believe it, you do not need to focus on yourself to ensure that your needs are met. God wants us to trust that when we focus on His glory and on the good of others, He will take care of us. He will bless us richly. (laughs) That passage, this passage, man, abundantly. We have all that we can ask it's more abundantly than we can even imagine Ephesians 3, right? It's bigger, it's greater than any of it. In fact, hasn't God already done that for us? Hasn't He already blessed us in abundance far beyond even what Solomon had? He has He has. He has blessed us this morning through Solomon, but He has blessed us to an even greater degree, an incomparable degree through Solomon's descendant. Given the exalted language in 1 Kings about Solomon, unrivaled, no one like you, no one will ever be like you, it is absolutely stunning when we read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Well, wait a minute. That's, is that a contradiction of Scripture? I thought no, I thought no one was going to be greater than Solomon. It's this language here in Matthew 12 that helps us to appreciate the hyperbole of 1 Kings. That what was being stressed is that, wow, this is how wise Solomon is. This is how great he is. But we know that wasn't an absolute... Because right now, the absolute is speaking in Matthew 12. And not only does he say, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Though Solomon went on to build God's glorious temple in Jerusalem, we read in Matthew 12 also, something greater than the temple is here. Matthew 12, verse 6. Those are the words of Jesus, aren't they? Those are the words of David's other son, Jesus the descendant of David, the descendant of Solomon. And he was talking about himself in this passage. Greater than the temple. Greater than Solomon. How can we say that? If we were to finish this morning the story of Solomon, we would discover a very tragic ending. We would discover a very disturbing ending in light of the beginning what we just studied this morning in 1 Kings 3. If we were to finish the story of Solomon, that ending, his ending, would simply confirm the tragic truth about every single one of us. That in the deepest part of my heart 
and your heart, we are grace-forgetting, pride-filled, self-focused sinners. That's what we are. Grace-forgetting, pride-filled, self-focused sinners who pray those kinds of prayers. We are spiritually rebellious. We are spiritually lost people who desperately need something greater than Solomon, don't we? We need something greater than Solomon. And by the grace of God, he has provided exactly that in giving us Jesus. Solomon was perfect, but Jesus was. Jesus is. Solomon was not a perfect king, but Jesus is a perfect king. Amen? King Jesus is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. He is exalted above sinners. And He is our king, people of God. He is our king. He's the king who died for us. He is the king who rose for us. The ultimate prescription for prayer that I can give you is prayer through Jesus Christ and in His name. That is the, that is the pinnacle of prayer that we arrive at in the new covenant because of the gospel. That is the pinnacle of prayer through Jesus, our high priest who has passed beyond the veil, who has brought us in so that we have confidence now to enter the holiest place in time of need. Amen? Wow, what an encouragement. How God has pointed us from Solomon to something greater than Solomon and Jesus Christ that we can pray in his name. So let's learn and grow in prayer. Let's learn from Solomon's example given to us in the inspired word of God. But let that example point us forward to Solomon's descendant, to Jesus, King Jesus Let's pray grateful for God's grace, not just grace in a generic abstract way, but God's grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. God's grace in your life as he brought you from death to life. Gave you the exact opposite of what you deserved. Let's pray in light of that grace and let's pray in light of our Savior's example of others-focused sacrificial love. That was his life, wasn't it? He demonstrated that for us. Brothers and sisters, friends, something greater than Solomon is here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.